Well, this morning is our third week uh, in a series that we've been going through. You see the beautiful graphics uh, on the screen uh, in our We Believe series. Uh, And each week we've been going through a different section uh, of the Nicene Creed and and really just trying to unpack the simple statements, some of those those central truths of what it is that we believe. Uh, What is it that the the Nicene Creed uh, teaches us? and instructs us in as we confess that and, and the Apostles' Creed week in and week out. And, uh, and last week's sermon and, and this one really kind of go hand in hand and, and really kind of dive into to really the heart of, of why the Nicene Creed was written. Uh, the Nicene Creed uh, came about in uh, 325 after the Council of Nicaea, for which it's named. Um, and it came about because of this controversy over really the question of, of who is this Jesus. Uh, there was a, a man by the name of, of Arius and, and a teaching uh, that goes right along with his namesake known as Arianism, which taught that Jesus, while he was a man, what was not God, at least not God in the sense that God the Father was God, uh, that he was perhaps a, a, a lesser God. And against that teaching, the church said, no, Jesus is true God, begotten of his Father before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. And that central statement in those words really kind of fought against that false teaching, that he is one substance with the Father. That the Father and the Son are of the same substance. Just as Jesus says, I and the Father are one, they are of the same substance. And so then today we sort of come to this this other nature of Christ, which is perhaps the thing about Jesus that we maybe take for granted, is that we believe that Jesus is true God and also true man. As we confess in the creed, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. And as I said, this I think at times is the truth about Jesus that that we maybe just gloss over and, and take for granted. Because of course Jesus was a man. That seems obvious enough from the gospel accounts. He, he had his, his 12 disciples. He walked with them and, and talked with them. He, he ate and drank with them. He, he wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He suffered and, and died and endured the cross all as a man. It seems obvious enough that Jesus was, was a human. But I think if we we take this truth for granted, we can miss out, perhaps, on something that is is extremely central to the gospel. Uh, Last July, uh, I was down in in New Orleans with our our youth uh, for the National Youth Gathering. And uh, and while we were down there, uh, I had been asked by a friend to uh, to lead a, a breakout session during the day. And really kind of what that breakout session centered on was a lot of the same things that we've been talking to pertaining to identity here at Lamb of God. 
uh, and what it means to find our identity in Jesus and what he has done rather than what we do or, or perhaps fail to do. And I remember uh, very vividly after uh, that breakout session, uh, a teenage girl came up to me following, uh, following the presentation. And she told me that for a lot of her life, she had felt that her life lacked worth, that it lacked value, that, that, that she wasn't worthy of love. Because she was overweight. And as she told me that, my my heart just sunk. It, It broke for this girl because of just what a trivial thing that really is. In the grand scheme of things, what 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 a trivial and and virtually meaningless thing that is for us to find worth and and value in is is the way that, that our body looks. And I was thrust back to the, the high school days of, of, a, of another young man uh, that I know quite well. And, and this may come as, as a bit of a shock to you, but as a 16-year-old, uh, I did not necessarily have the, the ideal physique that every teenage boy <laughs> sought after. And while, while, while struggling with, with being overweight was, was not something that, that I ever experienced, I, I can remember very vividly feeling as if, as if my body was, was something that it ought not be. And, and I don't think this is something that only teenagers struggle with. I, I think a lot of us, we, we struggle and, and we have this feeling that that our humanity is in one way or another something to be lamented. There are things about, about our bodies, things about our appearance that, that we don't really care for, that we would perhaps like to change. And, and even if, if we have a, a, a body that is sort of the ideal Hollywood vision of, of uh, a perfect physique, there are things about humanity that, that we just don't like. Whether it's the simple fact that, that, that our bodies, they, they get old. They get sick. We're reminded again and again of, of the weakness and, and the frailty of our humanity. That, that there are things about our bodies that no matter how to... No matter how hard we work to, to maintain them and keep them looking beautiful, that they're just things that we cannot control. Uh, I can remember my grandfather who was, who was sort of just the, the, the pinnacle of what it meant to be healthy. And, and even in his, his old age, continued to, to work hard as, as a farmer. And, and that hard, laborious work kept his body in, in peak physical condition. Yet despite all of the health that he had his entire life, still spent the, the latter years of his life in a wheelchair because of a stroke. Our bodies are, are, are weak. They're, they're frail. They, they break down. I mean, think of, can you think of anything else that demands as much maintenance and attention as our bodies do? 
Uh, one of my favorite TV shows is, uh, is a show, uh, it's just sort of a goofy sitcom uh, called Parks and Recreation. And there's a character in this show, uh, his name is Chris Traeger, uh, who is uh, played by Rob Lowe. And uh, he's an extremely eccentric guy, uh, particularly when it comes to his, his health and well-being. He is just meticulous about his diet and exercise regimen. Uh, and the eccentricity of, of his obsession over his health is, is put against this backdrop of this small Indiana town uh, that is just notorious for being unhealthy. <laughs> and, and one of my favorite lines in the show comes from this, this episode where there's this massive flu outbreak in, in the town. And, and Chris, this, this picture of health and well-being is just terrified of getting the flu. And he says once in this show, he says, my body is finely tuned like a microchip. <laughs> and the flu is a grain of sand. It could literally shut down the entire system. <laughs> and I love that show, not, or I love that statement. Not only does it get at the core of his eccentricity, but I think it gets to the core of our human frailty. No matter how hard we work to, to maintain our bodies, no matter how, how much we, we love or disdain our bodies, they often serve as this constant reminder of our weakness and frailty as human beings. The past several months here at Lamb of God, as, as we've had to say goodbye to beloved members, have been this constant reminder of our weakness and our frailty as human beings. Just think about how often our bodies, they just, they let us down, they, they, they disappoint us. And we can easily be led to believe that, that perhaps our humanity, perhaps our bodies are, are something that we would be better off just sort of escaping That perhaps humanity is, is something that we should try to leave behind. And so whether that's through, through our, our spirituality that is really about just ascending and becoming less human, trying to look to, to this future where we live as, as just sort of disembodied spirits somewhere away with God, or if it's through just sort of numbing our human experience through, through drugs or, or alcohol, through sex or self-harm, we're often led to believe that the experience of being human is something that we ought to disdain, something that we should lament, and something that would just be better off left behind. The experience of being human is something we know quite well. So well, in fact, that when we really think about it, perhaps believing that Jesus was really human is really actually kind of hard to believe. On the one hand, it's maybe the thing that we take for granted the most, but on the other hand, maybe it's the thing about Jesus that's is hard to believe because he just seems so other in the Gospels, doesn't he? You look at the, the things that he's able to do, the way that, that he, he lives his life just seems so distant from who we are. And it becomes almost hard to believe that God would not spare God the indignity of having a human body. 
That, that, that God would not spare God the indignity of, of being a baby and having to have your diaper changed. That God would not spare God the, the indignity of, of illness, of sneezing or the hiccups. It can be very difficult to believe that, that Jesus was human like I'm human. But actually, that is precisely the thing that we confess. In fact, that idea is precisely the thing that John writes his gospel to, to, to teach against. See, because while Arianism taught that Jesus wasn't totally, fully God, there was another teaching during the time of John, as he writes, called Gnosticism, that said Jesus wasn't really a man. At least not the way that we're man. And so John, he begins his gospel with this prologue, this introduction to the life of Jesus. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So John seeks to establish that Jesus is this Word of God. This word that that is distinct from God the Father, but yet also mysteriously, intimately tied and one with the Father. That this word is is the creative agent of, of all material things. Nothing that was made came into being without Him. But the surprising thing in John's introduction to the Gospel is that he doesn't then turn and say that we should sort of seek to ascend to be like this word to leave our humanity behind. But no, he turns and he shifts in verse 14 and says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That this word of God who, through whom everything came into being has actually come into our midst and taken up residence in humanity. That he comes and, and spreads his tent among us. Eugene Peterson in in the message translates this, the word became flesh and and moved into the neighborhood. That he comes to be like us. Our God doesn't call us to leave our humanity behind. No, instead he comes and embraces our humanity. He comes to be with humanity. Humanity. You see, if we forget the humanity of Jesus, if we forget that He was a man, just like we are human beings, then we could forget what's at the very core of the gospel, and it's the truth that God didn't come to rescue us from our humanity. God came to actually rescue our humanity. He suffers and dies on the cross to free us, not from the brokenness of flesh, but free us from the brokenness of sin. He rises again, not to destroy our bodies, but to restore our bodies. That in Jesus, what we're promised, what we're given in the gospel, is that we can actually be human again. I mean, if you look at the entire ministry of Jesus, what is He constantly doing? He's constantly driving out the things that steal our humanity. He's healing the sick, giving sight to the blind opening deaf ears, loosening tongues. He's feeding the hungry. 
He's forgiving sins, driving out demons. He's seeking to drive out everything that would make our experience of life anything but human as it was intended to be. God's intention in Jesus is not to take away our humanity. It's to restore it. It's to make it new again. To rescue it from the curse of sin, death, and the devil. That's what we discover in Jesus, this invitation not to be less human, an invitation to be more human, to actually live life as we were intended. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this line uh, that my wife and I, we, we took from uh, someone that we did uh, some marriage counseling with, uh, because living with me takes professional help. Um, <laughs> Uh, but this, this counselor, as, as we would you know, talk through things, th- things from our past, uh, anger that we maybe harbor, uh, he would constantly say to us, can you have compassion on that part of you or, or that part of your spouse that feels this way? And I love that word, Compassion. Because contrary to sympathy or, or empathy that, that calls us to maybe feel a certain way, compassion calls us to, to really be a different way. Is that the root of, of compassion is, is really to suffer with, to suffer alongside someone, to suffer in the midst of brokenness. And what we discover in Jesus is that we have a God who has great compassion on us. Not just sympathy, not just empathy, not just words from on high, but a willingness to come and to suffer with us, to suffer alongside us, to suffer for us, so that we could be human again. And that, to me, sounds like really good news. Amen?